Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Santa Barbara, California. I am getting better, I think. Uh, still, still got residual symptoms from this whole COVID experience. But, you know, every day is a little bit uh, better, stronger. Uh, there's something that, uh, you know, I guess a lot of people kind of go through this. They call it the long, you know, long haulers or, uh, you know, post COVID syndrome, whatever. But anyway, I'm, I don't know. I'm like seven weeks out, tired of this sort of residual stuff too, but it is going in the right direction. So I can be patient. I've kind of started doing most of this stuff that I was doing before. I haven't started hiking yet. Which is uh, which? When I do, I think that will be officially my uh, full recovery. But uh, anyway, that is the latest on my progress. And thanks for those of you who've uh, been checking up on me, and especially those who have given me various uh, treatment advice and uh, that kind of thing. So before we begin with today's show, I do want to remind you. I haven't reminded you in a while that there is something called. Uh, the Wealth Formula Accredited Investor Club. This is for people who are interested in um, private investing who are accredited investors. So if you are an accredited investor, what and what does that mean, by the way? It means you make uh, at least $200,000 a year, $300,000 of filing jointly, or uh, for co two consecutive years with anticipation of doing so and uh, going forward, or you have a net worth of $1 million outside of your personal residence, then you are an accredited investor. Now, there are some other things too. I think now you can get like a series, uh, I don't know, one of those series tests um, that shows some financial intelligence apparently um, that can also uh, qualify you as well. Make, make sure to take a look at that. And if you do qualify, uh, consider joining our accredited investor group uh, at wealthformula.com. That's where the magic happens. Once you sign up, there's an onboarding process uh, that uh, is involved, and then uh, potentially we can get you involved in some of the things that uh, we do behind the scenes here. Now, as for today's show, let me say that, you know, a few weeks ago, I had my CPA, uh, well-known CPA, Rich Dad Advisor, Tom Wheelwright, on the show to discuss what's going on. Uh, you know, now with the new government and, um, you know, what's going on with taxes, you know, what's going to happen over the next year or two years under this new uh, administration. And of course, the news was, um, 
not surprisingly, surprisingly, generally, uh, it was generally bad for high income earners, which makes up a lot of the audience of this show. Uh, you know, in that sense, for high income earners, taxes will invariably go up. And the idea is that the rich can afford it and they ought to pay their quote unquote fair share. Now, that term drives me crazy, and I'm sure it drives you crazy as well. After all, what's fair? Is paying half your income or more to the government fair? Well, if you live in California, that's what you're doing already. So I don't exactly understand what people say when they say fair share. Anyway, I should get off that rant before it takes me into a completely different area, which I don't want to focus on today. Let's focus instead on who is going to get hit the hardest. And I have to ask you this question. Do you really think it's the rich who are going to get hit the hardest with the tax hikes? Well, I guess part of that answer depends on who you define as rich, right? I mean, the truth is, that the true rich, the wealthy, are not going to see their tax liability changed by very much at all. Because apart from, say, professional athletes, uh, you know, and some various other types of unusually high paid individuals, the true rich are not W-2 wage earners. It is the high paid W-2 wage earners who will be hit the hardest with the new tax laws. And guess who that is? Yes. Doctors, lawyers, etc. People who make up this audience in, in large, large proportion. You. You see, business owners and investors, those who Robert Kiyosaki would say are on the right side of the cash flow quadrant, will likely net net come out even. Uh, for all tax hikes that we see, there's going to be many opportunities for tax mitigation through investment into things that the government wants to promote. You see, the tax code is, after all, just a series of incentives for investors to take advantage of. That's what it is for investors and for business owners to take advantage of. And that's why I suspect that for most truly rich people who are for the most part, they're investors and business owners. Tax law changes will not make a material difference to them in terms of what the effective tax rates are going to be for these people. Well, you listen to that and you say, that doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, it kind of isn't fair. I agree with you. It's absolutely not really fair. But, you know, why is it uh, that the case? You see, I think it's because, and I pretty much know it's because, the government sees business owners and investors as vehicles for driving the economy because, well, they kind of are, right? They produce the goods and services and they fund the economic growth through investments. Conversely, W-2 wage earners are treated as, you know, kind of the fat cats that don't do very much to contribute to GDP growth, but they get paid a lot. Now, hardworking professionals like you may disagree with this assessment, and I certainly disagree with that, too. So please don't think that I think that. But that's the way the tax law is written, and it is what the future tax laws will be based on. They look at you, if you're a W-2 wage earner, 
and you're making you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, making maybe even million a million dollars or more, and they say, well, you're pretty much you know you're just taken from the system. You're not giving anything back. So if that's you, what can you do about it? Well, as Tom Wheelwright says, if you want to change your tax, you have to change your facts, right? And from the perspective of decreasing your tax liability, that means shifting more of your resources over to that right side of the Kiyosaki cash flow quadrant, the world of business ownership and the world of investing. Now, if you are in our accredited investor, investor group, our accredited investor club, I should say, then you already know uh, about the power of depreciation that comes along with investing in real estate. Um, now, for most, I should add that shifting increasing amounts of financial resources into the investor quadrant is probably the smartest thing to do. You know, the reality is that not everybody, uh, you know, is a business owner and, and stuff and not everybody's an entrepreneur and, and getting in your money into that investor quadrant, letting it work there and build is probably the safest and smartest thing for most of you. However, speaking from personal experience, if you are able to get involved with the business owning quadrant, you can really, really open up a whole new world of possibilities, such as higher levels of passive income, the ability to take deductions that, you know, that are simply not available to you in any other way. And a whole, oh gosh, I can't even tell you where it begins, but there's so many advantages financially um, and certainly from the tax side. The challenge is that business ownership in reality is not that easy. In the vast majority of cases, business ownership, again, is not passive. And, uh, you know, however, the uh, flip side of that, I will tell you again from personal experience, is that the financial rewards of business ownership can be dramatic and they certainly can be worth your time. I mean, certainly more than, you know, owning like, you know, turnkey real estate or something like that. The challenge again is that again, not everyone is cut out for business ownership and you really need to think very seriously about it before you take that plunge. Then if you decide that it is something you may be interested in, you need to figure out how you're going to do it. I'm probably a little bit different from most and that I actually feel most comfortable starting businesses from scratch. I've done it multiple times and while there is certainly a good chance of failing. The expenses incurred are often uh, not nearly as significant as other ways. So for me, and again, I'm different. I would say most people would not say that, you know, startups, uh, you know, kind of the easiest way or the safest way to do it. But that's the way I feel most comfortable uh, in doing it. And of course, the other way to get into business is through acquisition. Now, we've talked about, you know, franchising on previous shows, and it certainly has its advantages and its disadvantages associated with it. Another option is simply to acquire freestanding businesses, uh, you know, that are not franchises, that are just, you know, small businesses that you can buy. Now, again, uh, this is something that I've not done. I'm not terribly comfortable with it. Uh, and uh, this is not an area that I can necessarily point to, uh, you know, some trusted advisor 
Um, because I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm about as clueless as anyone else in this world when it comes to the idea of acquiring businesses. You know, I think, um, I do, you know, I do have, you know, my brother is in this world, but you know, that, that's not, he's not in the, the world of small business necessarily. And, uh, the bottom line is that there's not really a way that I feel like I can say, yeah, this is, this is the way you ought to do that. Now, that being said, you know, Carl Allen his team reached out to me a few weeks ago to see if I'd like to have him on the show. And as it turned out, Carl's business revolves around business acquisitions and, you know, and, and teaching people how to do that as part of it. And so this week's Wealth Formula podcast features a conversation I had with him to learn the basics. Now, I should point out, as I, I do frequently, that, listen, I am learning from Carl here. I don't know him. I don't know anything about his products. So if you want to go down that rabbit hole, it is your own decision. I'm not uh, promoting anything. This program is an educational program as always. So listen, when we come back, you're going to hear what Carl has to say. And if you're interested, maybe, you know, check out his stuff. But, uh, you know, decide for yourself. Uh, I I, uh, I don't have anything. I don't have... <laughs> I don't have anything to win or lose with this. So when we come back, Carl Allen. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Carl Allen. He is the editor of uh, Dealmaker Wealth Society. He has three decades of experience as an entrepreneur, an investor, and a corporate dealmaker. He's worked on uh, about 330 acquisitions and sales worth uh, approximately $48 billion dollars. He also has a newsletter called Confessions of a Dealmaker. Carl, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So I want to just sort of start out by just kind of getting to know you uh, in terms of, you know, the perspective that we're coming at this. So uh, assume you yourself are an entrepreneur. How did you get in, in, involved in entrepreneurship and how, is, uh, how have things evolved for you? Yeah, so I, I actually started my work career, corporate world. So I, I graduated in 1992. I just turned 50. I went to work for a Wall Street investment bank, Bank of America. So I was buying and selling companies for very large clients. So Boeing, GE, IBM, and also Microsoft. And then um, 
I, I, I left um, the investment banking world. I, I went to business school in Chicago to do an MBA. And then I uh, spent some time in private equity. And then the last real job that I had was uh, I was one of the mergers and acquisitions directors at Hewlett Packard, the, uh, the global technology company. So I, I was buying and selling companies for HP, some of them in, in the billions of dollars. Uh, one of them was, was over $10 billion, actually. And then um, mm-hmm. I was doing that, having a lot of fun. And then, but my, my life completely changed in the space of about four hours in, in 2008. Um, mm-hmm. It's just over 13 years ago, actually. It was the 1st of February, 2008. So I'm, I'm in Moscow in a boardroom with, with my HP team trying to close this deal. We were buying a, a company over there. And I, I got a call from my wife, who was 36 weeks pregnant and had gone prematurely in labor. So I had to get myself back from Moscow to England um, for my the birth of my of my child, you know, I, I literally got the call. I ran out of the room. I had my my phone, my wallet, my passport with me. My luggage and my computer, I think, is still there. I've never been back. I got home just in time for my son to be born, and, and that was the trigger for me to uh, quit the corporate life and become an entrepreneur. And the reason I did that was was primarily for my family. I just become a dad. Um, I wanted to be there with my family. I've not really showed up for my family. You know, we had all the children as well. I've been busy chasing deals. And, you know, my, my, I didn't have the wheel of life that I have now. My life was in, in balance. I, I was all about deals and money and fame and success. I wasn't about, you know, the more important things. So, so I quit. I walked away from a million dollars of bonuses and stock options and, um, decided to become an entrepreneur and you know, I kind of sat down with my wife and, and I said, you know, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I think starting a business is the craziest thing anyone in life could ever do. You know, my belief is, you know, if you want to be a business owner, go and buy one, go and buy one using other people's money. Don't do something as stupid as starting one. So, uh, so I became a business broker. So I started brokering deals for small business owners uh, but the first deal I got to sell, I actually ended up buying it. Um, I realized a big fundamental thing in that at the small business end of the spectrum, often sellers don't sell for money. They sell for continuity. They sell for legacy. They sell for a safe, trusted pair of hands that can take their business forward. Um, so I did my first deal. Uh, and I'm still buying businesses today. I own lots and lots of different businesses all over the world. But then... About five years ago, I started teaching this stuff. People, I was inundated with people saying, hey, you've got this really awesome methodology. You've got a proprietary formula for finding small businesses and buying them using other people's money. Why don't you teach this to us? So I started doing that. And I have the absolute honor and privilege today to coach and mentor nearly 6,000 entrepreneurs and business owners all over the world who want to learn the skills and tools of acquiring businesses, growing them, and then selling them. So that's what I do. So one of the things you talked about is, okay, um, you'd be crazy to start a business. I, I happen to be a guy who started about 10 businesses. So um, I, and my, I'm, I'm sort of on the opposite spectrum. When I look at uh, acquisitions, it scares me because of what I know. 
uh, goes along with small business. Um, if it is not big enough, a lot of times there's baggage, there's critical staff, there is critical IP that is hard to transfer, things like that. So if you are you know, looking to buy a, a business, I guess the question is, what kinds of things are you looking at here? I mean, you're buying a, are you, you know, are you focused on buying uh, franchises, standalone businesses, and and what kinds of things do you think you avoid from the st- uh, startup perspective? I'm curious because, uh, again, for me as a startup guy, I'm almost I'm a lot more comfortable starting businesses than right. buying. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Actually, lot lot to unpack in that. So let yeah. let, let me let me first start by saying, like, when you buying when you buy a business, for the most part, you're you're buying the legal entity, whether mm-hmm. it's an S corp. C Corp and LLC. So when you talked about transferring IP, the IP will sit inside of the business already. So it's like it's like buying a house with the furniture. Mm-hmm. It comes with it. So it, in, in terms of startups, let's look at the market data. So in 2019, I don't have the 2020 data. In 2019, 6.6 million Americans, according to the Small Business Administration, started a new business and 96% of them will fail. 50% will fail in the first year alone. And when you think about it, it's no wonder because when you start a business from scratch, you don't really have anything. You don't have any clients, Mm -hmm. any suppliers, any cash, cash flow, any credit, any premises, any employees. You don't have anything. It's what I call the no problem. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas if you buy an existing business that's profitable, it has all the things that you don't have. It has customers, employees, premises, equipment. It has a reputation. Um, you know, a, a lot of, particularly in the in the business-to-business space, not so much in the B2C space, but in the B2B space, you know, if you're an established company, it, it's very rare that you would pick and to work with a, a startup provider. You want somebody that's got a track record, customer testimonials, social proof, all of those, all those different things. And my analogy for this is is like buying a car. So I, I'm a huge car guy, and the UK we're a little bit behind the US in terms of innovation. So now we have Teslas now in the UK. So I just ordered a Tesla, right? And um, I could have done one of two things. Uh, I could have gone on eBay and bought all the components, bought the wheels, the battery, the glass, the giant iPad that sits in the middle of the seats, the wiring, and then gone on YouTube and figured out how do I build this car? How do I connect all these pieces together so that it works? Or did I go down to Tesla? Did I buy one that they've already built? And did I finance it using Tesla's money? That's exactly what I did. I bought that car, no money down. Uh, mm-hmm. Tesla financed 100% of the purchase for me. Um, so that's my analogy for, for getting into business ownership. You know, it, it's, it's more expensive. It takes a lot longer. And in my opinion, having done this for three decades, it's a lot riskier to start a business and have to push uphill when you can buy a business that somebody's built and is profitable, but doesn't want to own anymore. They want to retire or they're, sick or burnt out or bored or just want to go and do something different. So that's, that's what I truly, um, truly believe. So you mentioned, uh, um, you know, your background in larger, you know, acquisitions through M and a and these firms. And, you know, I have actually, um, my, uh, my brother's a, 
also has that experience. And I remember talking to him about this. He served as the um, chief investment officer of one of the sovereign wealth funds in, in Bahrain. And so he was doing all these you know, multi-billion dollar uh, transactions. And so one of the questions I had asked him is like, you know, what, I mean, if you can do this, you I mean, you could pretty much do everything. And he said, you know, it's a different ball game when you're dealing with a billion dollar business uh, as opposed to a million dollar business. Yeah. And it's completely different skill set. And, and so, um, and I, and I asked him, you know, what are some of the things he'd be thinking about? He said, well, he probably would never buy anything that had a revenue less than 50 million just because of the, the scale and the, you know, the teams that you need, the management, all those kinds of things. What do you say to somebody like that? Because that's still going to be a pretty expensive uh, business if you're buying something with a yeah. $50 million. So that's, ter- that's terrible advice. That's terrible advice. There are some unbelievably great businesses sub $10 million. I, yeah. I purposefully would never buy a business with $50 million in revenue. Never. Mm. Because when you go above $10 million in revenues, you have a lot more competition for buyers. Mm-hmm. So larger corporates, financial investors like private equity, that's where they're focusing. So those are the deals that have the crazy high multiples mm-hmm. because it's pure supply demand economics. Did, so for me, aren't, aren't you buying I'll, a job if you go too small though? No, not at all. Not at all. Because no. when you're looking at businesses, even so I'll tell you about a business that I bought literally two months ago, I acquired a company in the UK and I'm acquiring another company in the US right now, about the same size, about two and a half, three million dollars in revenues. And the owner doesn't work in the business. The owner works on the business. There's a very big difference. So the owners of those businesses that I buy, they're strategic. They're doing the visionary work. They're not in the business day to day, pushing the buttons or doing whatever the business does. They have management teams, they have processes. They have things in place and systems. And, you know, I've bought businesses before that didn't have those, uh, bought them for pennies on the dollar, and then I've implemented those systems quickly in those businesses so that I don't have to work in them. Where you buy a job is really where you buy a business, you know, sub a million dollars. So let's say you find a business. Let's say it's a marketing agency. It's doing $500,000 a year. It's making about $100,000 in profit. That's what the owner's essentially earning business. Mm -hmm. And what you find is that that small micro scale, the owner is the business. They own all the relationships. They're doing most of the work. But when you go above seven figures, and different niches have got different numbers, but typically when you go to a seven-figure business, um, what you find is it has employees and systems and processes so that the business will work without the seller having to be there all the time. And that's one of the things I actually look for when I'm buying a business because I'm I'm an owner investor and tons of businesses, but I don't work in, in any of them. Uh, I have general managers and teams in those businesses running them for me. And as a result, I actually partner with them. I will gift them ownership. I will give them minority ownership in those businesses to be my partners to truly incentivize them to generate wealth for both of us. Tell me about right now in terms of various uh, sectors that you think are, you know, better to look in than others. 
So even without COVID, and, and I think COVID's kind of intensified this a lot, um, the, the, the classic sectors for doing deals for me um, are manufacturing, engineering, technology, anything that's online, um, construction, um, you know, those types of business, anything in, in the medical space. The biggest piece of advice I give anyone that wants to become a business owner and wants to buy a company is stay in your lane, buy a business in a sector that you know something about, you're passionate about, and you can add value to the business once you've acquired it. So I was talking to one of my mentee students recently. He's a sales guy for IBM, uh, very successful, but wants to leave IBM and, and, and become a business owner. Um, and my assumption is he'd go and buy a small technology business, but no, he wants to buy a vineyard. So well, why do you want to buy a vineyard? He said, because I'm really passionate about wine. I said, okay, but do you know how to grow wine, how to harvest wine, how to market wine? You know, do you know how to run a wine business? Mm-hmm. No. Well, then don't do it because it's crazy. Go buy a technology business that you know everything about. You know how it works. You've got relationships you can leverage. You've got people that you can deploy. Uh, if you want to buy a business in an area that you know nothing about, it's suicide. Go, or go and partner with somebody that knows that space and you can buy the business together. Do you, you know, um, one of the one of the things that we talk a lot about on this show uh, is the idea of passive income. Now, you know, I'm I'm uh, you know I'm reluctant to. Um, I've got to push back a little bit just in terms of how passive you've made it sound. Um, realistically, when you have, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your students and kind of you know, the amount of effort and, you know, things that they're going to need to do on a day-to-day, you know, uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of a, uh, a near, you know, a little bit of a, a picture in, in, you know, the types of things that you're, you know, coaching people on and, you know, yeah. how much time they're putting into these things and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so typically I, I, I'm serving four types of students. So three of them are entrepreneurs and one is an existing business owner. So with with the entrepreneurs, um, they'll do deals in three ways. You'll have people that want to buy a business and they want to go and they want to run it. So they want to be the GM business. And there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's completely fine. So clearly those people are working full time, um, to, to run those businesses. And it, it takes on average about three months uh, start to finish to uh, to find a business and, and, and close a deal. But then I have other students that um, they don't want to be owner managers. They want to be owner investors. They want to buy businesses, um, not work in them, but work on them. And then depending on their ambitions, what they want to do with the business strategically, how they want to grow it, uh, how much work it might need um, to kind of get it on the right footing, whether they want to do additional acquisitions, that can be a one day a week to a five day a week operation. There's no, there's no kind of set rules. I think uh, you're right. The premise of your point is correct. Um, you can't buy a business um, and then sit back, do nothing whatsoever for the right. rest of your days and just collect a check. You can't right. do that. Right. You have fiscal responsibilities right. as the owner of the business. Right. You need to spend at least some time with it. I own businesses that I spend probably three hours a week. Mm -hmm. I own businesses that I spend probably 10 to 15 hours a week. 
you know, I, I'm still, I still work 50 to 60 hours per week. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I love what I do. You know, sure. I'm building my wealth. I'm building my legacy. Uh, I'm only 50 years of age. I still have a lot of energy. Um, you know, that, that's what I want to do. So you, you're absolutely right. Um, this isn't like, um, an, an Amazon FBA business where yeah. you, you, you sell taco stands on Amazon, you hire a VA for $9 an hour and they're doing all the work. Um, no, that, that's not what, that's not what it's like. You do have to spend some time. Um, and you'd want to, cause if, if you're buying a business, um, the way you make the most money doing deals is when you buy a business, you grow it and you sell it. If you buy a business and you, um, you borrow the money to buy it, um, your value, your net worth on day one is, is all on paper. Mm-hmm. You've not materialized any of that in terms of money in the bank to get the money in the bank. You've got to grow it and then sell it and you're selling it with a higher profit. So you're making money. Uh, that takes work. You right. might not be in the business every day doing the tactical endeavors, but your job as the owner of the business is to at least set the strategy, set the vision, indoctrinate the culture, do all of those different things. Uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, your your group, which is called the Dealmaker Wealth Society. Yeah. So as I alluded to before, about five years ago, um, I started coaching. So I, I'm one of these rare individuals that, that eats my own cooking. I don't just coach. I, I, I do when I coach. And, and that's really, really important. And my, my group, uh, I, I mentor about 6,000 people all over the world. I'd say most of those are concentrated in the U.S., then the U.K., um, and then they are either entrepreneurs that want to become business owners. So they want to learn how to do this and get into business ownership, or they are existing business owners that want to grow their existing business faster by buying other companies, buying competitors, mm-hmm. buying um, complementary businesses. You know, it's like what the big boys do, isn't it? You know, when, when, when Amazon realized that all of its <laughs> listeners, all of its readers um, we're, we're, we're listening to books on an app. They didn't go out and invent the technology. They went and bought Audible. Um, same when Amazon realized that a lot of its customers uh, shopped at Whole Foods. They just went and acquired the company. You can mm-hmm. buy growth um, by by doing acquisitions as well as obviously buying businesses to to get into business ownership in the, in the first place. You want to talk a little bit about maybe some um, examples of successes? Yeah. So gosh, we'll, we'd be here for a long, long time. Uh, but let, let me give you some quick highlights. Um, and these, these are all like my favorite stories. So, um, you know, very, uh, very good student, Chris Matthews. He, he was a big, um, he was a big guy, big 300 pound guy, went to a weight loss clinic, uh, in the UK, uh, lost a whole bunch of weight was, was so, enamored with the process. Um, he understood the owner was looking to sell. So he bought the clinic, uh, bought it using other people's money. He didn't invest his own money because he didn't have any. Bought that clinic and mm-hmm. bought four more and then bought the distribution company that provides all the equipment and all the nutrition. Um, I could tell you about Darren Jacobs, who um, actually sold his company in the technology business he sold 
And his daughter said to him, uh, Dad, can you go buy me a hair salon? Uh, I want I want to own my own hair salon. She uh, was a hairstylist, and um, he didn't want to spend his money, so he invested in my coaching. Uh, I taught him how to buy that salon uh, without using any of his own money. Um, enjoyed that process so much. He's bought 19 more, so now he owns 20 um, different salons. There's John Gulcheran in the U.S. went and bought a a transport company. Um, you know, he was earning probably $70,000, $80,000 a year as a project manager, um, went and bought that company, uh, then bought three more, uh, and now generates about three-quarters of a million dollars in, in cash flow. Uh, as Wes Parker bought an e-learning company in, um, in Dallas, Texas, uh, because he was passionate about learning, knew the industry, uh, came across a business that was for sale, and, uh, and went and bought it. Uh, Lindsay Lyon was... Uh, was, was a surfer based in Australia and came across a business for sale that manufactured shark deterrent technology. This company is called Shark Shield. Um, loved the business, knew the industry, uh, went and acquired it. So um, there's, there's countless stories in, sure. in every sector imaginable in, in, in pretty much any country. How do you mentor when you have 6,000 students? How do you mentor them individually? So... So a lot of them I, I teach through online training. So I have a whole portfolio of online training courses. And then uh, like any coaching model, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's an Ascension model. So my inner circle clients, uh, there's about a hundred of those that I, that I, I mentor, uh, I, I deal with them on mm-hmm. a, on a weekly basis. So we have weekly coaching calls. There's a group that I mentor on. There's two groups actually that I mentor on a Wednesday there's a group that I mentored literally just before this recording. Uh, and there's a group that uh, I mentor on a Thursday as well. So most days I'm mentoring groups of students in a group format, um, which is really good because when you think about it, 95% of people's problems are the same. They all come up against the same hurdles. Where do I find deals? How do I build relationships with sellers? Where do I get the financing to do these deals? You know, how do I do due diligence? How does the legal process work? You know, what happens on closing day? What do I do in the first hundred days of owning a business? How do I scale a business? How do I sell a business? They're all the same questions. So I'm able to coach in a group setting. And what's amazing about that, what what is truly amazing is in that group, there are people that have been with me for a number of years. And what I found fascinating, that's to me, that's even more compelling. So to my students, they look at me and they think, well, Carl Allen's been doing this for 29 years. He's done hundreds and hundreds of deals. Clearly, he knows how to do this. This is his, he's one of the best in the world. This is his expertise. But when they see somebody like Chris Matthews, like John Gulcheran, like Darren Jacobs, like Lindsay Lyon, all those people that, Three months ago, six months ago, we're in exactly the same place they are now and have implemented the training and have taken the action and have got the results. That is more compelling. So having it in a group fashion uh, works very, very well. Uh, Obviously, you have successes. You probably had some failures. What went wrong in those for those students? 
Yeah, I've I've actually learned more from failure. I have from um, from some of my wins. You know, some of the biggest lessons I've learned in my in my life have been through deals that that, that didn't work out. So I, I bought a business, um, went went outside of my rules that we talked about before. I bought a company back in 2011 that was doing oof, nearly 20 million dollars in revenue. It's very profitable, but again, bought that business without any personal money without signing any guarantees, did that deal. And it was interesting. It was a car, it was a corporate carve out. We bought the business from a multi-billion dollar conglomerate. It was a corporate workwear company. So it manufactured uniforms for airlines, banks, pharmacies, retailers, etc. cetera. Um, when we bought that business, 40% of the revenue came from one customer, but it was 90% of the profitability. And we just rode that gravy train um, to the point where we didn't diversify the business away from them um, to make the business a lot less um, dependent. So mm-hmm. um, three years down the line, that business um, decided to move to a different provider because it was a lot cheaper. And um, yeah, we, uh, we had to sell the business for a dollar. Uh, we had to literally give it away. Um, ironically, after having turned down a $10 million offer about three weeks before from the same competitor that took the client away from us. So where do we learn more from you? So dealmakerwealthsociety.com is, um, is kind of our central hub. Uh, you can sign up for free to get loads of daily insights and tools and strategies from me. Um, Obviously, I have a whole bunch of coaching and training programs, but, you know, that's not the first ports of call, really, for anyone that's curious or interested in doing this. My, my biggest recommendation um, is to read my book. So I have a book um, you can get on Amazon. It's Zero Down Business Buying Secrets. Um, there's, there's a $7 link I will give you for people that, that want to buy it at a discount and read that book. Um, and that's going to qualify you as somebody because this isn't for everybody. You know, this uh, this takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of patience. The rewards are phenomenal, but it's proportional to the amount of work that you put in. And and for some people, this is a great thing for them to do. For others, no, it's not. Uh, so by reading that book, you'll get an overview of my system, what it really takes to be successful. Uh, for some people, that will resonate. If so. There are uh, follow-on options to to coach directly with me. Um, but there's a lot of valuable information in this book. It's a $30 book on Amazon, but um, it's a $6.95 link, I think. That's at um, trainwithcarl.com forward slash wealth formula. So that's trainwithcarl.com forward slash wealth formula. Um, buy a copy of the book, read it, and... Um, if what I have to say interests you, then there'll be options to uh, work with me in a bit more detail. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. And I know you're, uh, you're in a different time zone than us. So I didn't, um, you know, whatever flexibility that you had to get on at this uh, nice time for me, I appreciate it. No problem at all. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, again, I do want to, remind you that I don't know Carl very well uh, other than just having interviewed him uh, for the show. I don't know anything about the program. I don't know anything. So if you do sign up for it, 
If you sign up for that program, one thing that you could really do to help our community is to email me and let me know if you think uh, what you think of it. You know, if it helps you, if it doesn't help you, whatever. You know, I will say that as a general rule, I approach these kinds of courses with a pretty open mind. I really do, because, you know, what is the goal really? Well, there, you know, a lot of times, and I'm not saying this about Carl's course in any way, but you get in any course on the internet involving the internet, uh, you're going to see a bunch of marketing, could be pretty cheesy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's no value to it, right? Sometimes um, you can gain a tremendous amount by learning just a handful of things from a course, and just because you know there's a lot of marketing material around it doesn't mean that it's all a big joke. I mean, to be honest, I'll, to, to be frank, I should say, my own course, which is your roadmap to real wealth, which, by the way, you can check out at wealthformularoadmap.com. You know, I had, uh, for better or for worse, a few years ago, when I launched this thing, an internet marketer guy who was pretty well known for his webinar creation or his, you know, like sales webinars or whatever, uh, had convinced me that um, this would be something that would help, uh, you know, get people more involved with my course. So um, I had uh, him write out the script. And as it turns out, it's kind of cheesy. And I got to tell you, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't really like it very much. <laughs> you can check it out for yourself at wellformularoadmap.com. But as it turns out, people who sign up for that course uh, really do get a lot out of it. And they certainly also get a lot out of what's included with that course, which is membership to our private network, uh, Wealth Formula Networks. So just because, you know, there's some heavy handed marketing or cheesy marketing uh, around something doesn't mean that uh, it's not worth checking out. But again, I don't know anyone who is uh, who's purchased Carl's stuff. So maybe it's worth picking up a copy of his book, maybe doing a little bit of uh, due diligence on it, checking it out. But again, if you go down that uh, road and you do join the network, email me, let me know how it goes, and uh, would love some feedback for our other members. Now, one last thing I would like to say and hopefully uh, get from you is uh, I haven't asked in a while, but I would, I'm going to ask again that you go to wealthformula.com um, and click on the give us a five-star review button for iTunes. That would be very helpful if you think I deserve five stars. You know, I got to tell you, some people give uh, one star for this craziest reasons. I mean, like, honestly, I got one guy a while back ago who gave me one star because he says, not everybody is a Republican and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I didn't say anything about that. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not talking a lot of politics on this show. And then it turns around... And then somebody else turns around in the last couple of weeks and says that I said something good about Biden and that he has integrity and, and what are you smoking and you deserve one star. So for this entire body of work, people are giving me one stars for ridiculous things. So if you are getting a lot of uh, out of this show, I would appreciate your investment of time uh, in uh, making sure that people know about it. Go to wealthformula.com, click on the give us a five-star review. Or if you know how, you know, just go to your iTunes uh, account and, and do so. Make sure you subscribe if you've not subscribed to the show. 
that is ultimately what ends up helping us climb up on the charts and continuing to you know get great guests for this show. Anyway, that is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.